a redemptive God. Even in his judgment on his people, when he allows judgment to come, his judgments are redemptive. He's not just looking to smash people. You know what it's like to break things. Um, and then you are left with broken pieces. I remember one occasion as a young boy, I was running up to the back door of our house and uh, just going a little too fast, and my elbow went first into the window of the storm door, and it, the glass just shattered and fell all around me. I broke numerous times my mother's plates and her glasses and um, one of the stories that she still won't let me forget uh, that I really don't remember I was too young but uh, my mother had worked very hard on decorating a birthday cake for my sister and um, I you know the story already I, I found it before it was time, and uh, I, I destroyed her hard work, and she just was devastated because she had worked so hard. Our kids have personalized mugs, drinking mugs, things that uh, it's like a little coffee cup, really, but, you know, you can get them with their, their pictures and their names on, and, and I don't think any of those mugs have lasted. As far as I know, all of the, the handles are broken off of those mugs. There might be one uh, that still has a handle attached. Um, I don't know whether it's the dishwasher that's hard on those mugs or what, but anyway, we have hard. I don't, it, it's not ceramic. It's almost like a stone type tile in our kitchen floor. And uh, almost anything that falls is guaranteed to break on that type of floor. If it goes down, you know, it's, it's coming back up in pieces. And that's a terrible feeling. You know, you hear that sound and the, 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 tingling of the glass and uh, oh no something else is broken especially when you have something that is beyond repair or uh, necessitates starting all over again you know I really don't get the persistence of Thomas Edison most of you have probably heard the stories of Thomas Edison and how he he said that uh, genius is 98% perspiration it's just pers- being persistent, keep trying, you keep trying, you, you keep going, you don't quit, you don't give up. And uh, it, it, the story is told that on one occasion, uh, Thomas Edison working with his assistant, they were, the assistant was so discouraged about the difficulties and the problems that they were having and and uh, they had tried, they were trying to find a, a material to use as the filament for the electric light bulb. And they had tried so many different things. And, and uh, 
the assistant said something to Thomas Edison, something like, you know, aren't you discouraged? We've tried so many things so many times, and we have not succeeded once. We've, we haven't made any progress. And Thomas Edison said, yes, we have. He said, and I believe they were at about attempt 700 and something, something like that. And Thomas Edison said, we have made progress. We know about 700 things that won't work. And so we keep trying. I I don't get that. I don't like starting over. But, you know, God has been starting over for a long time. If you think about it. In the book of Genesis, we read about Noah and how the wickedness of the earth had grown so great that God decided to start again with Noah and his family. In Babylon, there was a group of people who had decided because of a unified language and unity of purpose, um, God saw that anything they put their mind to, they would be able to accomplish. And they said, rather than to be scattered across the face of the earth, let's come together and build a tower that will reach to heaven and make a name for ourselves. And so God again intervened. And really, many points throughout Scripture, I see it with Abraham, and then I see it with King David. King David, you know... Uh, God gave Israel King Saul. And then God essentially had to start over again with King David. God's been starting over again for a while. In the book of Jeremiah, we read about God sending the prophet to the potter's house. Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 1 The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. I want to talk to you this morning about lessons from the potter's house. Lessons from the potter's house. Let's bow our hearts once again for just a moment of prayer. Father, we ask that you will help us as we look into your word. Would you give us spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to see, hear, and understand what you have to say to us? Lord, would you help us to take it to heart and be encouraged? And if there's anyone here this morning that resonates with this message and says, yes, I need to try again. I need to be yielded to the potter's hand. Lord, would you help them to do that? Help them to know that you are not a God who makes throwaway vessels. And Lord, we'll thank you for your help in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Lessons from the potter's house. The first lesson is simply this, that the potter has a plan for every vessel. The potter has a plan for every vessel. Notice verse 3. Jeremiah says, I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel, and the vessel he was making of clay. He was working on a vessel made of clay. You know, the artisan does not begin his work without some kind of inspiration, some kind of vision in mind. I believe it was Michelangelo who made the great sculptor of uh, the sculpt statue. That's what I'm trying to say. My goodness, my tongue is not working this morning. He made the statue of David, and someone asked him, how did he do it? And he said, I started with a block of stone and then just got rid of everything that didn't look like David. He had a vision in mind. But what often happens in our cases is a planning conflict. A planning conflict. You know, God has a vision in mind for my life and for your life. Sometimes it's easy for us to look at other people's lives and say, yes, God has a plan for that person's life, but we don't think much about ourselves. But, you know, the psalmist in Psalm 139 said this, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. This tells us that while we were yet being made while we were yet being formed God saw us as completed individuals as whole people and had a plan for us the psalmist went on to say the days that were formed for me in your book they were written every one of them but sometimes we have a planning conflict Henry Ward Beecher, that great preacher of years gone by, wrote this. He said, if the architect of a house had one plan and the contractor had another, what conflicts would there be? How many walls would have to come down? How many doors and windows would need to be altered before the two could harmonize of the building of life? God is the architect and man is the contractor. God has one plan and man has another. Is it strange then that there are clashings and collisions? And no, there certainly, uh, it is certainly not strange that there are clashings between the plans of man and the plans of God. And these conflicts between our plan for our own life and God's plan for our life inevitably lead to destruction. And vessels are cracked and broken and sometimes ruined. And this is the second lesson that we can learn from the potter's house. The potter is grieved over broken and ruined vessels. The potter is grieved over ruined vessels. Chapter 4, 
or rather verse 4, the beginning part of Jeremiah 18. As Jeremiah is watching the potter work on his wheel, he says the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And I believe the potter is grieved over ruined vessels. Now we need to understand that if you or I, certainly if I was working on a vessel at a, at a uh, pottery wheel and spinning that. Anybody here ever do pottery work? Yeah, one of you has. I, I suspected that might have been the case. Um, I've never tried. I've never done it before. I've watched it done. But if I were trying, I can tell you that the vessel I would make would probably uh, get ruined very quickly and it would be my fault <laughs> because I don't know how to shape and form that clay uh, as a skilled artisan would. But often the ruination of that vessel is not the fault or the mistake of the potter, but it has to do with a flaw in the material itself. You know, the location of the potter's house would have been important. He would have wanted to be close to a supply of water and also a supply of the right types of, of soil that he could use to make the clay that he needed to uh, have the raw materials to work with to form his vessels. And often what would happen is a uh, maybe a little pebble or a small uh, grain of sand in just the wrong place uh, can cause a, a part of that material to be inflexible. And as the potter shapes and molds and comes against that hard part of the material, it ruins the rest of his vision, what he's trying to come, uh, what he's trying to make and create. Some of you know about the disappointment that comes as a result of ruination. Here, a couple months ago, I was making breakfast for our family, as I usually do on Saturday mornings, and I think I was making biscuits and gravy, and I made a, 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 an error in my biscuits. I used baking soda instead of baking powder. Now, if you don't know much about baking, you may not understand what result that will have, but it ruined the biscuits. That's, that's the end result. And they were not fit to eat. And it's so disappointing to work so hard on something and have it not turn out. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is it doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to be a large error. It can be something quite small that can end up having catastrophic results. Some of you may remember the last flight of the Space Shuttle Columbia and the disaster that followed in February of 2003. Though the Space Shuttle Columbia would spend a bit over two weeks in orbit, its fate was sealed only 81 seconds into its mission. That's when a piece of foam from the external fuel tank came off and damaged the shuttle's left wing. 
I've seen some of the video footage, as some of you probably have, of uh, the, the space shuttle in its launch and how it was not discovered until a later, uh, uh, later in the shuttle's mission as the, uh, the people at Mission Control were looking closely at the launch of the space shuttle and looking at high-definition, uh, high-quality uh, photos and, and video footage of the launch. They were able to observe some of the foam material falling off uh, of the shuttle's fuel tank and hitting the wing. There was debate and discussion over what to do about it and should they stay in orbit and have the space shuttle Atlantis go up for a rescue mission. There was debate about whether or not they should do a, a spacewalk and have some of the, one of the seven astronauts that were part of that crew to repair the damage to the wing. And it was decided that it was not necessary and that the damage uh, was small enough that it should not have an impact on the space shuttle and its reentry. And you and I now know, sadly, that that was not the case. When the space shuttle began its re-entry into our Earth's atmosphere, it was not very long before the shuttle burst into flames, exploded. There were other things that took place leading up to that. It began with sensors in that left wing failing, and uh, that led to problems uh, at mission control. They realized there were, uh, there were difficulties, and then it wasn't long after that until the entire shuttle disintegrated. I have friends that live here in Oklahoma City that were part of the recovery team that traveled throughout North Texas uh, and, and large areas of that debris field collecting parts and pieces of the space shuttle. The potter is grieved over ruined vessels and it doesn't necessarily take something big to cause catastrophic damage, but it can be something very small. The reality is in the potter working with the clay, any, anything that limits pliability, anything that limits pliability can cause damage and ruination. Pliability is simply this, this quality of being flexible that allows a material to flex and bend and conform to a desired shape. And this certainly has application to we as Christians. When God works with us and tries to shape us and make us any area of our lives that is inflexible, that is not pliable, that will not conform to his will, any area like that can be a potential cause for damage and destruction of the vessel, the, the creation that God is trying to make out of me and out of you. And we might wonder, why would God do this? Why would God want to shape us and make us? Why would God want to put pressure in our lives to reform us? And this question leads to the next lesson that we find from the potter's house. And that is simply this, that the potter has the right of control over the vessel. 
You see, friends, we read in our New Testament, in the writings of the Apostle Paul, that we are bought with a price. We are not our own. We are not our own possession. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And there are some decisions, there are some directions in life that we simply have no right to contemplate. Because we don't belong to ourselves. We have been bought with a price. God's word tells us that we are to be a holy people. And one of the things that this means, to be a holy people, to be a holy person, one of the things that means is that we are set apart to be uniquely God's possession. And therefore, He has the right of control over our lives to work with us, to shape us, to make us into the people that He wants us to be. Jeremiah 18, the end of verse 4, says this. Well, I'll just read the whole verse. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And because it was spoiled, he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do so. In my mind's eye, I can imagine the potter sitting at his wheel and shaping until as he makes that, that side wall of that vessel more and more thin, he gets to that place where that little pebble is that will not conform to the shape that he wants. And because that pebble is there, it ruins the rest of the vessel. And so I see in my mind's eye the potter very carefully leaning in and taking a closer look at that part of the vessel and then carefully pulling out that thing that does not belong and setting it aside. And then again, maybe a little fresh clay and a little moisture on his hands to, to again begin reshaping and remaking and remolding. You see, friends, one of the wonderful truths of this lesson, this little story, is that though God, as the potter, may be grieved over broken and ruined vessels, he is not helpless. Thank God. Though he is grieved and, and it, I'm sure, saddens his heart to see when his creation, when we make a mess of our lives and we see other people out in the world that have made a mess of their lives and, and it grieves us to see when it happens in our loved ones and in our family members. I, uh, my mom told me not too long ago about, uh, actually just the other day, about one of my cousin's uh, who is just about my age. I don't know which one of us is older, but he's very close to my same age. And he is now in jail because of drug abuse and drug trafficking and, uh, among other things, has had uh, a venereal disease and he's engaged in multiple relationships with multiple partners and has not disclosed his his disease and so he's passed that on to who knows how many people and he has some of the same roots that I have grandparents and great-grandparents 
who are in ministry and holiness churches. And I hear that story and I think about my cousin and think, he has just made a wreck of his life. It's tragic and it saddens me and I know it saddens the heart of our Creator, our God. Yet the wonderful thing is that as tragic as as it is, the mess that he's made of his life and as much as I know it saddens our God, we know God is still not helpless. He is grieved but not helpless. He is able to remake and reshape. And my cousin, if he will let him, God will be able to look down close and scrutinize his life and begin pulling out the things that don't belong and setting them aside and then begin to reshape and rework and remake to make a vessel for his own honor. None of us like pressure. I don't like pressure. You know, I've learned that if you are at the doctor's office or at the dentist or the emergency room or whatever, that person person working on you, that physician or that nurse, and they say, now you're going to feel a little pressure. You know what I'm talking about? Most of the time, if you hear that, buckle up. Because that means it's going to hurt. But the truth is, friends, our troubles are often the pressure of the hand of God in our lives to shape us and make us into the people that He wants us to be. We are shaped by pressure. George MacDonald said this, If men would but believe that they are in a process of creation and then consent to be made. Let the maker handle them as the potter his clay, yielding themselves in respondent motion and submissive hopeful action with the turning of his wheel. They would before long find themselves able to welcome every pressure of that hand on them, even when it is felt in pain, and sometimes not only to believe but to recognize the divine end in view, the bringing of a son into glory. There's a song I heard some time ago that says, The potter knows the clay, how much pressure it can take, how many times around the wheel till there's submission to his will. He's planned a beautiful design, but it will take some fire and time. It's going to be okay because the potter knows the clay. Any of you feeling pressure? Maybe 2021 was a year of pressure for you. And the turning of the calendar page is not a time for hopeful optimism, but it's, it's simply a time, another day for you to wonder what's next. You know, it all depends on the inflection and the tone of voice. (laughs) There are some times when we can say, oh, I wonder what's next. Oh, I just can't wait to see what's going to happen next. And then there are other days when it feels like, 
what's next? So much, so much has happened, so much has gone wrong, so much trouble, and what's next? Friends, the potter knows the clay. And the final lesson that we learn from the potter's house is simply this, that the potter does not give up on ruined vessels. Aren't you glad? The potter does not give up on ruined vessels. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At this point in their history, Israel had turned their backs on Yahweh multiple, multiple times. During the period of the judges, it was a time of repeated sin and disobedience, followed by hardship and pressure, followed by repentance, followed by deliverance. You've read the book of Judges. You know it just happens over and over again. It's a cycle that repeats itself. After this, there came the age of the kings, and we start off with King Saul, who seemed to be a good prospect, and and there was no one like him in all of the land, and yet Saul went his own way and walked in disobedience, and so God started over again with King David and, and said that if you will walk with me, I will bless your family, your lineage, and from your line, essentially will come the Messiah. Yet we know how the story goes. After Solomon passed off of the scene and Solomon's son came along, Israel, that, that just kind of set up a chain reaction. We have the, the dividing of the kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom, and then there were many, many wicked kings, and some of them led Israel into a wickedness of such a degree that God in Jeremiah chapter 2 describes them like a donkey in heat. I mean, really, terms that to our ears seem kind of, really kind of crude. But this was the lengths of the wickedness that they had gone to. And, and in fact, it, God says they'd gotten to be so wicked that they were worse than the peoples that they had displaced. And he said, I'm going to bring such judgment on you that when the ears of the nations around you hear of my judgment, their ears will tingle. They'll say, wow, look at what their God has done to them. He said, I'm going to wipe you like a person wipes a dish, turning it upside down. The amazing thing is that God kept on calling for his people. And the message of every prophet, some of the messages that they sent were messages of judgment and messages of condemnation. But every single one along with those messages was a promise of restoration if the people would repent. And God said, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'm going to take out your heart of stone and put within you a heart of flesh. God continued being faithful, even when he knew they would not listen. And Jeremiah chapter 7 makes me feel sorry for Jeremiah as as a preacher, as a prophet. God told 
Jeremiah, you're going to preach. You're going to go. This is your responsibility. This is my will for you. You go and preach to the people, but they're not going to listen. They're going to harden their hearts. In fact, it's chapter Jeremiah chapter 7. Verse 2, God said to Jeremiah, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word. And then God gives him the message. And then in verse 27, he says, So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, This is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God. I would want to say, Lord, why am I going then? Why am I going? Friends, because God is a faithful and a merciful God who does not give up on broken, ruined vessels. I believe I mentioned this a few weeks ago in a Sunday evening service in Japan, and I'm closing with this. In Japan, rather than tossing away or discarding broken pieces of ceramics, craftsmen there often practice the art of kintsugi, or kintsugi, I'm not sure how to say it, which literally means golden joinery or golden repair. And it is a method of taking broken pieces of pottery or, or vessel ceramics and restoring them, putting them back together. And instead of trying to disguise the cracks and the broken places, those areas that have been restored or put together, they are filled with a mixture of gold or silver or platinum in a way that not only brings the vessel back together fully restored, but it highlights the damage, so that the end result is often more stunningly beautiful than what was started out. The story of Kintsugi is said to have begun in the 15th century when a Japanese military commander, uh, Yoshimasa, let's just leave it at that, Uh, He broke one of his beloved Chinese tea bowls and sent it for repair and then got it back and was very disappointed at the shoddy job uh, that uh, it was treated to. He then talked to various Japanese craftsmen and encouraged them to try to come up with a more pleasing method of repairing broken pottery, broken ceramics. Thus the art of Kintsugi was born. Collectors soon became so enamored with the new art that some were accused of deliberately smashing valuable pottery so that it could be repaired with the gold seams of Kintsugi. I want to tell you this morning that that's not what I'm talking about. I don't wish to communicate the idea that we celebrate our brokenness And since we are all broken, damaged, sinful people, and uh, as Paul said, uh, what shall we do? Shall we let sin abound so that grace can abound? And we just fall headlong into brokenness so that grace can abound. No, friends, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about that. The reality is that God does have grace and power that can make us what He wants us to be and can keep us. 
the beautiful uh, doxology that we find recorded at the end of the book of Jude says this, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you blameless before his throne with exceeding great joy. Friends, God is able to keep you from falling. But that's a different message. This morning, what God laid on my heart is this message, and that this message is no less true. The potter has a plan for every vessel, and he is grieved when vessels are broken and ruined. But though he is grieved, he is not helpless. He is able to reshape and rework and reform and make us into a vessel of honor for his glory. And I'm so glad, friends, that God does not give up on broken, ruined vessels. Over and over he molds me and makes me. Into his likeness he fashions the clay. A vessel of honor I am today, all because Jesus did not throw the clay away. Aren't you glad, friends, that he did not throw the clay away? Let's stand together.